Well, it has been quite a journey, this Lent. We've been going through the uh, seven deadly sins, the seven capital vices, and we are on the last one. And we've saved a nice and easy one, one I'm sure none of us struggle with, the vice of wrath. So in a a recent World Health Organization survey, 64% of people surveyed said that the world is becoming an angrier place. And frankly, I was kind of surprised by that low number. (laughs) I mean, come on. You don't even have to walk outside your door to get angry these days. You simply have to get on Facebook or watch the news, and your blood will be boiling. So, have you ever been angry, or are you angry, at the political situation in our country? Yes. (laughs) Have you wished the demise of your political enemy? We all, a lot of us voted on Tuesday. Maybe there's some of that then. <laughs> Were you resentful of the last president? And maybe ride a high of pride with the current president? Or maybe vice versa? Can you have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you about politics, religion, child-rearing, education, without feeling defensive, pers- personally attacked, and resentment? If any of this is true you might be struggling with the vice of wrath. Now, I'm sure that just by bringing up politics, some of you feel the adrenaline pumping in your veins. Oh, my gosh, what is Ethan going to say? Or maybe you're saying, oh, man, well, not anger. Not all anger is bad, Father Ethan. I mean, come on. Can you really blame me for getting angry on 98 when some Tennessee teenager cuts me off? No, yeah, yeah, I, I heard that. Now, it's ironic to me that whenever anger is brought up, and it's happened in several conversations, um, we immediately try to justify or find exception to our anger. I've done it as I've been preparing the sermon. I know you've all done it. You probably were thinking, oh, but what, what about this situation? And what about that situation? Can I be angry then? So I know that we've all felt anger. But what is anger, really? And then what is the vice of wrath? And what is the remedy to our wrath and anger? These are the questions we're going to query today. So what is anger? Simply put, anger is an emotional response to situations where we or someone else is threatened or wronged. In the, the flight and fight sort of response to difficult situations, anger is the fight response. And we should also realize that oftentimes anger is rooted in love. Like when you feel angry when when someone you love gets hurt or is wrong. For example, earlier uh, this week, uh, Marin's godparents, uh, very close friends from college, uh, had their first child. Um, And there were some really scary mistakes and issues that went on during, uh, during the birth process. And I got really, really angry about it to the point where I wanted to do some violence to the doctors who messed up. I said it. I said it out loud. It wasn't even here. I said it to my wife. I was like, if I'd been there, there would have been, I'd have had an issue. I would have been angry. I was angry. So anger happens. But what do we do with anger? That's the question. Do we put it to good use or evil use? Now, before the service, I was, I was, 
told or suggested to a per, by a parishioner that, that Ethan, there is good anger, and this is where we talk about good anger right here. So what is good anger? Um, anger is good. This is, this is sort of the, the condition for good anger. When it is concerned with correcting wrongs, and it is motivated by the love of others. I think oftentimes when we think of good anger, it's really emphasis on concern with correcting wrongs, and maybe with loving others, maybe, okay, if I have to. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. might be a good example of good anger. He was angry about racial inequality and was motivated out of love for those who were with him and against him. As he said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. But if we're honest, I beg you to be honest with yourselves this morning, our anger is rarely if ever, truly motivated by love of others, especially the love of our enemies. All right, all right, Ethan. But didn't Jesus get angry? Come on. Doesn't that mean something? Yes, Jesus did get angry. But we must be very, very careful about claiming that Jesus would get angry about what we get angry about. In every situation that Jesus is either described as angry and that's very few. He is only described as angry in a few situations. And, or does actions when he expresses anger, which are a few more, his motivation is love for God and love for others. So, classic example happens for, it occurs in all four Gospels, cleansing of the temple. If I bring up anger, someone says cleansing of the temple. Let's consider this. His anger is directed towards correcting unjust worship of the temple and is motivated by one, the love of God, that God would be worshiped rightly, and neighbor, that humanity could worship God well. Jesus didn't just get angry. He wasn't just throwing tables and getting people out of the temple just because he felt like it. Jesus's anger was good because it was always about the good of others and grounded in his holy love. So my friends, it would be unwise, I suggest, for us to use Jesus's anger as self justification. Okay, so we, it's Jesus' anger, but what about the wrath of God? A lot of examples of the wrath of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but simply put, God's wrath is not like our wrath. His anger is grounded in his perfect holy love. Theologian uh, Fleming Rutledge says it well, God's anger is pure does not have the maintenance of privilege as its object, but goes out on behalf of those who have no privilege. The wrath of God is not an emotion that flares up from time to time as though God had temper tantrums. It is a way of describing his absolute enmity against all wrong and his coming to set matters right. Now, when the words wrath or judgment come up in our culture, especially in relation to God, the question can be asked and is asked, can God be good and wrathful? It's an important question for us to struggle with. But consider this quote from N.T. Wright in response to that question. If God is not wrathful at child abuse, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from his creation in an act of proper wrath and judgment, the arrogance that allow people to exploit, bomb, bully, and, be, and enslave one another, he is neither loving, nor good, nor wise. 
So interestingly and significantly, God's wrath is good news for us. Because it means that God has done and is doing something about the evil in this world. So God's wrath is grounded in his holy love, and Jesus is the perfect example of good wrath, good anger. So what is bad anger? We all probably can bring to mind someone you know who is an angry person. Think about that person right now. Maybe it's your father or mother, husband or wife, school teacher, a football coach, or a drill sergeant. You can see the boiling red face, the lines of rage, and hear the raised voiced, voice, the exasperation, and total lack of control. Or maybe they're the other kind of angry. Maybe you can still feel their steely, cold, silent resentment. Or maybe this is describing you on a hot day in the middle of July as you're driving on 98, and a Tennessee teenager cuts you off, and you just lose it. (laughs) So we already established that we know what anger feels like, but what is it exactly? Well, let's think about that Tennessee teenager for a moment. When he cuts you off, you feel slighted. Perhaps your life has been put into some small danger. He has violated your security and safety, so in other words, the driver has wronged you. He didn't do, that was not a good thing to do. But an angry person responds to being wronged by trying to right the wrong on his own terms and in his own strength. That's what bad anger is. An angry person responds to being wronged by trying to right the wrong on his own terms and in his own strength. And frankly, friends, Jesus doesn't have time for this. And in our gospel reading, we see that Jesus does not mince words about anger. The command to not murder is expanded to not be angry. And bad anger, lest you think that you have control over your road rage, manifests itself in all sorts of ways. So another scenario, imagine your son is playing outside, and you call him in for dinner, okay, but he doesn't hear you. So you get angry. In this moment, you've become angry too easily. You are irritated that your son seems to be ignoring you. And next, you get angrier than than you should be. You blow up at him and send him to his room for disobeying you. And then you stay angry too long. You resent your son's disobedience and hold it against him, so that next time he doesn't listen to you, you even get angrier. All the while, you ignore your son's explanation that he simply didn't hear you. Your anger has dominated your ability to love your son and see reality clearly. That is what anger does. I know, personally, that I've experienced all three aspects of, these, of this bad anger. Irritability, blowing up, and resentment. Sometimes, all at once. And I'm sure, I'm confident that all of you can identify with at least one aspect of bad anger. So, Good anger is a real thing, and Jesus is the only human who has practiced it perfectly. And bad anger desires to be in control when it is threatened or opposed. And frankly, we've all practiced it. So what is wrath then? So, and how does bad anger become wrath? Peter Crift puts it well. When bad anger becomes settled hatred, it becomes a vice. 
when anger's heat turns to rigid coldness, it is rigor mortis. Now, remember that from our past sermons that a vice is a habit of the heart that is both a sin and leads us to more sin. Wrath is the settled habit of bad anger that leads us to more anger, resentment, irritability, and hate. And the author of Proverbs puts it well when he says, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. When wrath becomes a habit, my friends, we learn to see the world through angry eyes. Consider this story. Once there was a, a, an, old, an old woman who was struggling every day up a steep road to get to a local cemetery. Took at least six hours out of her day for her to make this trip. What grief inspired this walk? Was she driven by sorrow? Departed child or deceased husband? No. She was driven by bitter hatred and long-nourished resentment. Her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery, so rain or shine, the old woman would walk up that hill every day to her enemy's gravesite just to spit on it one more time. Every, my friends, this is settled. This is settled anger. This is the vice of wrath consuming this woman's life. Everything in her life revolved around her wrath. Imagine, you have to plan six hours a day to go do that. That is wrath. And while we may not experience it to this extreme, can we not identify something in us that relates to that story? So what is the root of wrath? Hopefully by now, if you've been here for this series, you know the answer to that. It is pride. Yeah, all right. Pride. Like all the other vices, the root of wrath is pride. We must be in control, pride says. Provide for ourselves. Be autonomous. Put differently, most people try to live life by self-propulsion. Self excuse me. Each person is kind of like an actor who wants to run the whole show that he's in. He's forever trying to arrange the lights and, and tell the ballerinas what to do and get the scenery right in order and telling the director how to direct and the rest of the players and the lights and the sound, everything. He's trying to work it all together and make it happen. And if his arrangements would only stay put, if, if only people would do as he wished, it would just go off without a hitch. Just people listen to me and everything will go well. I'm sure someone here has said something like that in their life. And what happens? Well, because we can't be in control, the show doesn't go well. And this actor, we begin to lose control and get angry. And, and we begin to think, oh, man, life just does not treat me too well, does it? And then we get resentful and irritable. And our actor's basic problem, our basic problem, is that we are self-centered. We're prideful. Wrath's root problem is that we think we can be God. We are wrathful when we can't control things that hurt us. Our wrath is ready to remedy that vulnerability by taking full control. And all the while, we lose control of ourselves. So wrath is the vice of habitual bad anger that is grounded in fear and pride. And if we're honest, we're all struggling with this vice. And what do we do? 
Have you ever tried to stop being angry? Have you gotten in your car in the middle of the summer and thought, I know there will be people on 98 who will frustrate me, and I am not going to get angry. (laughs) And how did that attempt at self-will work for you? I'll wager that it it didn't go too well. And do you know why? Because you were trying to control your anger and make it go away on your own, which is an act of pride. Pride can't defeat anger, guys. The truth is, we cannot save ourselves from our own vices. Really think about it, friends. If you could change yourself in your own power, wouldn't you have changed already? We are powerless over our wrath, and ironically, paradoxically, and wonderfully, this is good news. Because in Romans 5, 6, Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, our culture says, you can fix yourself. You have an anger problem, go read a self-help book. More knowledge, the more you know about your anger, the better you'll get at controlling it. And that is simply a lie. But God says, we are powerless over our wrath and pride. We are godless. And Jesus died for us. All right, someone might object here. I'm a Christian. I've been going to church my whole life. I know the truth. I believe in Jesus. Surely I'm not helpless against my anger. All those other people, all those angry people out there, they're the ones that need to hear about how bad anger is. No, my friends, this message is for us. We are the angry ones. We are the ungodly. Everyone, in fact, Christian and non-Christian, Democrat and Republican, black and white, rich and poor, we are all equally powerless and ungodly before God. And what is God's response to our lack of godliness? Loving, holy wrath. And why is God wrathful, my friends? Because God created us for him, to be in communion with him, and we are alienated from him by our sin. God's wrath is like a doctor who cuts out the cancer that is destroying our lives. And at the cross, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit judged our sin and declared it as unjust and evil and ripped it out. And at the cross, Jesus was judged in our place. The triune God took our wrath, our pride, and every vice and sin in the human heart, judged it and destroyed it in order to heal us. Jesus died for you, the ungodly. Me, the ungodly, everyone, the ungodly. He died for his enemies. He died for his enemies, my friends. He took our sin and guilt and gave us his life. Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God took our wrath and pride and destroyed it with the holy, loving wrath of the triune God and Jesus on the cross. And my friends, this is only half the good news. Because if God the Father and Jesus Christ could take all our sin, 
and destroy it in the death of Jesus for us. How much more, how much more can he give you his very life? And this is Paul's point in the rest of Romans 5. Jesus took our death and sin and gave us his life so that we could have true communion with God. My friends, this is the gospel. And how does the gospel relate to our wrath? I, I want to offer you three, three ways that this relates to our struggle with the vice of wrath. First, all the times you've blown up, wallowed in resentment, or been irritated. In other words, your anger and wrath are all forgiven. They are absolutely, totally, and without reservation forgiven by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And secondly, the fear and insecurity that drives wrath and pride are overcome in the cross. God gives us everything we could need or want in Jesus Christ. He gives us his very love and life. We can trust him and surrender our fear and insecurity to him. And friends, when we believe in Jesus Christ and call on him in faith, God gives us the Holy Spirit who communicates this forgiveness, humility, and gentleness of Jesus. Friends, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ, including the strength to repent of your wrath and let go of your pride. So how does the Holy Spirit apply the gospel to our lives? Well, he begins by telling, convicting us that we can't fix ourselves. And we have to stop trying to imagine that we can fix ourselves. When you feel anger coming on, instead of trying to control it, saying, oh, I'm not going to get angry this time, pray. God, I'm powerless over my anger. I am not in control. Help me. Give me your forgiveness and humility. If you ask, my friends, he will give you what you need. He is faithful. And it will take time and effort. This isn't one, one and done. It's a habit after all. Habits take time to change. But God will do it. He will break the power of wrath in your life as you surrender to him. And friends, oftentimes we get angry and then we move on. We don't think about it. I would suggest to you that after the anger passes, after you deal with it either bad or good, think about it. Reflect on it through the power of the Holy Spirit. See what is behind your anger. Seek to discern the deep resentments, the lack of trust and desire to be in control, and repent of them to God. And friends, confess it to somebody else. We are not Lone Ranger Christians. Caleb and I are here to talk about these things. We're a trusted friend. There is deep, deep freedom and honesty and transparency about our vices. And the Holy Spirit slowly helps us to order our anger towards what God cares about. This is a movement from bad anger to good anger, friends. And how does this happen? Well, first we ask God's humility and gentle, for God's humility and gentle courage to love what he loves. And friends, I think if we really look close at the gospel, this especially means loving our enemies. Praying for those who persecute us or simply annoy us. Pray for that Tennessee teenager. Not out of wrath, but out of love. Rather, and rather than getting indignant about injustice or about how things are going in our country, we should, do to seek, we, should do, we should seek to do something practical about it in love. 
love those who you disagree with. Listen instead of talking over people. Let go of your entitlements. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. He let go. My friends, godly anger requires action, humble and loving action, not just complaining and protesting. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Will you allow the Spirit to empower you to repent of your vices and grow in union with Christ? So let us pray for that filling of the Holy Spirit that leads to greater repentance and greater love. Abba Father, we thank you that your holy wrath heals us. And we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with a, de- with a greater repentance and greater love. Lord, break our wrath in us. Let Help us to surrender our control of our lives to you. And seek your face in all things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.